Baruch Haba, listeners. How are you doing? Welcome and blessed are you that's arriving today on this, the first day of the new year, 2021. Thank you for joining us. As always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. All right. Um, good morning. Uh, I know I realize you might not be listening to this in the morning, but as we record this, it is the morning, as I said, January 1st, 2021. Fresh start of the new year. What do you think about that, Brad? <laughs> well, we survived the 2020 nonsense. Uh, maybe 2021 will start out on a different foot. Um, I mean, we can hope and pray. Can hope and pray. So on that note, uh, why don't you start off this new year on a good note uh, by inviting uh, our blessed Father in to to lead this, uh, not just this podcast, but to lead us into a new year. Yahweh, thank you for getting us through 2020, which for many people seemed like something impossible to get through. But you prove over and over again that you can make possible things happen from impossible circumstances. Lord, you yourself mentioned many times that you're going to do a new thing. And here we are on the first day of a new year, and I look forward to seeing all the new things that you do this year. I look forward to all the new things that can possibly happen because of this, our time with you, of the podcast, the tool that we use to try to glorify you. Please, use these things to glorify yourself. And help remind Scott, myself, our listeners, that this is always about you and not about us. We thank you. We praise you. We give you the honor, the respect, and the glory that we can. We love you, Lord Yahweh. Amen. Oh, man. Thank you. All right. Well, today we're just going to be wrapping up Genesis 4 and kind of giving a, a tease into Genesis 5. Not really digging in at all, but uh, starting starting uh, that chapter. So where were we last time? Last time we were wrapping up Cain's uh, lineage and what that meant and kind of the the story of the Antichrist, so to speak. Uh, Satan's, his own plan uh, for humanity uh, along those lines. And now we get back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Hava, and their side. And Genesis 4 is going to wrap up with them. So let's just start off with Genesis 4. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong spot. Here we go. I jumped back to Cain's section. Now, now I'm in the right spot. Genesis 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Shet. For Elohim has appointed me another seed instead of Havel, for Cain slew him. 
Now, before I go on, I intentionally mispronounced the name here, Shet, uh, just because I wanted to say, now, obviously, in your King James Version, it is Seth. Uh, in my Hebraic Roots Version, it is spelled S-H-E-T. So I wanted to pronounce it that way just to kind of help people understand uh, how these things, you know, get spelled, how they should be pronounced. But it actually should be pronounced Shaith. Shaith with a with a long A. Even though it looks like S-H-E-T, it doesn't look like it should be uh, pronounced that way. But... This is Strong's Concordance number 8352, the name of Shaith. And it means put, in other words, substituted. So that in and of itself is pretty cool, I think. Uh, he's the substitution. Uh, not just for the child that Hava lost, but prophetically speaking, uh, I see Shaith as... Uh, a picture of the Messiah. I see him as a picture of Yeshua. He is the substitution. Mankind died from sin, so Yahweh provided himself a substitution. And here we see the son of Adam, prophetically as in the son of Yahweh, uh, being provided as that substitution. I don't know. What do you think about that, Brad? Am I reading into that? No, literally, you read it. <laughs> it's a substitute. <laughs> I don't think you read into it. I think you literally read it. But no, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. You mentioned it over and over again that you know there are spiritual truths from physical examples, and um, even here in in just the way they named uh, their their new child, I think you can see that there is something more that's supposed to be that's supposed to be thought of at this moment. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Now, we always, like, yeah, like, I'm glad you brought that up, Brad. We always have to remember, in the Old Testament, uh, he's limiting, God is limiting everything to a physical reality because that's all the people could understand, and it was physically perfect. Uh, We're in the law here, which is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, So these are the instructions. This is the perfect will of God being stated here, but it's limited to a physical manifestation for for the simplicity uh, of the people reading so they because they couldn't get spiritual truths now that we have the holy spirit and we're looking back on these and we're seeing them as examples or images of spiritual truth you're right and and that's where i get that's where i'm going with this is shaith was literally a physical substitution but what we can look at is he was a prophetic picture of of yeshua and going beyond that it says here in Genesis 4, 25, that, that Eve, uh, Hava, says, For Elohim has appointed me another seed instead of Havel. So why did she use that word appointed? Because Shaith also, it comes from a root word, 7896, Sheath, which means to place, to put, to apply, or to appoint. So this word shaith means substituted. It also comes from an appointment. And what we're seeing is this is the plan of God that's coming out here. God appointed uh, a, a Messiah. He appointed 
a substitution. This is the plan. It's not just happenstance. It's not just accidental. What we see in that word is that God, this was his intent from the beginning. He appointed it. Uh, that's an active verb. It's not just an accidental occurrence. God knew Adam would sin from the beginning. He knew Cain would make the choice that he made. Uh, this was all part of God's plan to keep this line going, to, to connect us to the Messiah, no matter what. And, and the reason I point this out is because of the days we're in. I want you to be encouraged. No matter what Satan throws at us, God has an appointment. He has a plan. He has all of this is in place. He knows exactly what the enemy is going to do. He knows exactly how the enemy is going to work. And he's already made a way around it. Yeah, I think this clearly shows Satan is a master tactician. And I believe he had a hand in uh, Abel's murder and Cain's um, exile. I, I believe that. Well, if that's the case, God shows that he's truly the master tactician because he already had a plan in place to defeat that. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan may have taken uh, Abel out of the world and may have taken Cain into exile, but God still had a plan. It, make, yes. it makes you wonder how many times Satan thinks he's won or he's got the upper hand mm -hmm. just to then have to bow down to the truth that, no. God bested me again here. You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> I, I think it's one of those clear examples of that going on here. Which brings me to another point that maybe I shouldn't get into here because this is totally off the subject, but I've often wondered, does Satan, I mean, Satan can read the Bible. He knows, you know, it's been said, and I agree with it, he knows the Bible better than any of us does. Do. certainly does. Uh, he knows the scriptures. He knows God's word better than anyone alive. He sees everything that God has put down. I'm, I'm wondering, it's, I've often wondered, does he honestly believe he has a shot? And I think he does because as the master of deception, I believe he's also deceiving himself. But, you know, it says his native tongue is lying. Uh, he, he is the liar. He is the deceiver. I believe he's even tricked himself into thinking he can win. Well, any anybody who lies, um, a, a big important lie that you've done in your life, how many times have you then had to go and cover it up? And then you just get to a point where you start to believe it yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's very much going on here too, just on a much greater scale. Yeah. He, he, he started with a lie, and then he's had to, uh, in order to continue to deceive us, because if we find truth, then he's failed. So he's got to continue to uh, to cover up the lie, to make new lies, to, to you know, to go down that path. And eventually, I think even he started to believe his own nonsense. Yeah, you know, um, and it could also just be simply, simply just his nature is just one that he just cannot. He's just so full of himself that he can just not believe it, even though it's written in scripture. Mm -hmm. He can just not believe the truth of it. Um, you know, if God is perfect truth, then he's unperfect truth. So maybe, I don't know, there might, you're right, there, there we, that could be a, a conversation in and of itself, but, uh, which we've, we've mentioned Satan quite a bit in a lot of this because he is a main player. Maybe we do need to have a topic conversation, just, uh, telling people who Satan is and it's not a bad idea, how he works and you get on that. 
<laughs> very, very well. <laughs> but uh, let me go to the word picture here, which I found interesting uh, because it's, first of all, it's uh, Shaith is spelled Sheen and Tav or Thav. Now, the first thing I noticed before going on with the word picture here, it's the final two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So, I mean, the very fact that Shaith's name is composed of the final two letters of their language, it's, it, to me, just kind of says, it's making the statement, the Messiah is going to end it all. Uh, even in his name being spelled this way, we can see uh, a microcosm of the fall of man and the Messiah being the victory over death itself, being the end of everything. Uh, it all ends with Yeshua. It all ends with this, the, this substitution. And here in the picture, in all of this, and this is a good place to wrap this up. It's like right here at the end of Genesis 4, we've got the entire story of man, the creation of man, the fall of man, and then God's plan being put into place uh, to redeem us in a microcosm right here. We see in, in the context of Havah's statement itself, for Elohim has appointed me another seed instead of Havel, for Cain slew him. We see a microcosm of the fall of man, uh, the murderer, Cain representing sin, uh, uh, ending our lives, uh, the fall of man, Adam's sin, bringing him into death, killing him. Cain uh, slays Havel in the same way, and now the appointed one will destroy the covenant of death that, that Adam created, that Cain went along with, uh, it's it's just a nice little wrap up. Not just Eve's statement right here at the end of Genesis four is just in and of itself a microcosm of everything we've read in these four chapters. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I'm just in, in total agreement, and it's making me think of the way you phrase that. It made me think of the Bible. You know, I wonder if you can break it down and go. This section of the Bible is a left. And then you could just go through the whole Bible hmm. and it could all correlate to one letter of the alphabet. That is fascinating thought. Which then that makes me wonder me. then it makes me wonder where are we? <laughs> right. Where are we in it now? You know. I, I that's there's just the way you phrase that, that's what popped into my head. So it's like, hmm, I want to look into that. No, that's a very yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, I mean, you're making me think right now. I've never, that's never occurred to me to think about it that way before. The, I mean, the Bible is perfect in so many ways, and the alphabet, alf, the alphabet, am I saying that right? The Hebrew. The alphabet yeah. is the Hebrew, yeah. Uh, the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet, um, is mentioned frequently. So, I, and I just, I know there's so many unique connections. So it just makes me wonder if there's been any research done on something like that. 
and maybe huh. maybe maybe that will not grow any fruit at all but it's just still an interesting thought that popped in my head just because of the way you phrased that mm-hmm. no i can see that in other places in fact with you and in, in revelation i i personally see in verses in chapters two and three the the letters to the seven churches i see them as being in an order for a reason and i see them as one of the manifestations of that are the ages that we've been living through from the messiah till now right that doesn't mean in any individual moment of time that every single one of the the letters to those churches isn't in play somewhere in the world to somebody to some a person to a group of people but overall yeah there's a particular letter to to one of those churches that is is kind of the overall manifestation of what's going on in the world that there could be something to that the the aleph bet is in order for that reason because we're going to end because the, it it ended with the cross essentially and, and i've said this before the final letter of the hebraic alphabet tav is in the shape of a cross now if th- that has confused you and you said no i'm looking at the alphabet right now no it's not it's the original hebrew the current hebrew that we have is is has gone over has, has undergone many changes the original uh hebrew it was it was the sign of the cross and it has undergone different changes like every letter has undergone different changes uh since the beginning to get to where it is now uh just in case that confuses you but yeah we do we end with the cross and that could be a statement in and of itself that's that's the finality of it all yeah yeah that's just fascinating more thought needs to be put into that (laughs) okay but i'll go on with this word picture here sheen and tav i came up with several things and i think the fact that it was so small helped me but one of them I just mentioned here uh, is that the appointed one will destroy the covenant of death created by Cain. In the word, one of the word pictures I came up with was destroy the covenant. And I think, you know, initially you want to think, oh, destroy the covenant. That's Satan trying to wipe out our covenant with man. And I think you can go down that road and see that as a picture here. Uh, but I do think it's talking about uh, at least in this context, the Messiah destroying the covenant of death that we made. Because uh, some of the other word pictures you can get out of this uh, that I got was El Shaddai's covenant. So you can say Jesus as the substitution, the substitution, uh, Shaith representing Jesus is El Shaddai's covenant with us. You know, he will never break his covenant. He will never leave us nor forsake us. If if there's ever a break to this covenant, and there has been, it's our fault, not his. Um, another word picture that I thought was interesting that I got from Shaith was eat and join together. And I just I just appreciated that one. And, and that made me think of Yeshua with his disciples saying, you know, breaking the bread, you know, and then here's the wine and using them as representations saying, this is my body, this is my blood, you know, you know, eat of these and be joined with me. And, and that whole picture, we need to eat and join together. We need to consume Yeshua. We need to be one with him. And 
I'll just stop there and let you give any thoughts you've got. I just, I just appreciate that. When you, when you're having dinner with your family, when you're having dinner with friends, when you're all around a table, I mean, that is, that is a perfect, perfect, uh, physical example of a spiritual truth. Um, it's just something I've always appreciated. Okay. Some, a uh, couple other things here they'll point out. Uh, just actually one other thing. I'm reading through all of my stuff. I think I've gone over everything I've written here except for one. The name Shaith is used seven times in the Old Testament. I noticed that. Uh, and it is used one more time again in Luke. And the reason that struck me is just because seven is Yeshua's number. And we're talking about Shaith being a representation of Yeshua. And Eight is the number of Yahweh. Now, there are three uh, There are three of the feasts of Yahweh that are seven days long. And there, there, there's a reason for it, because seven is the number of Yeshua. However, they all have an eighth day attachment to them. And the, pur- the purpose of that is to say, you know, Jesus leads us to Yahweh. Uh, for example, in the in the the first feast, you know, uh, we have Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you know it's a seven day feast. But in the middle of that feast, we have uh, first fruits occurs, and then you count seven sevens from that point, and then the the next day is what we call Pentecost, but it can be considered the eighth day of that original feast. Uh, It's separated by a time, but it can be considered there's seven days of the feast and then we go out to Pentecost and that's actually the eighth day of the original feast. As if to say, Jesus is leading us to Yahweh. That's that's what, and so I kind of saw that here, just in the fact that Shaith is spoken, the word Shaith is used seven times in the Old Testament and then one more time again, it's spoken of in Luke, you know, in the Gospels. So I, I don't know. I, I might be reading into that, but that's what struck me. I just think that's pretty cool. That's just that perfectness that we were talking about. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I totally agree. There's no reason why that can't be correct. So I'll move on here. Uh, I think I've covered everything I want to cover right now in this one. And again, please, uh, we mentioned it before. If you're listening and you're like, hey, what about this? You know, this speaks to me here. You didn't mention that. Please contact us. Shoot us an email. Do something. Uh, Let us know what you found. We're not perfect. We're not all that and then some. Uh, But these are just the things that kind of struck us, you know, as as we're going over there. Well, they struck me. And now as I'm uh, speaking it with Brad, you know, getting his thoughts, the things that strike him too, we could end this podcast and and people are frustrated going, why didn't you talk about this? <laughs> you know, please, please uh, feel free to contact us and let us know what you think. But the last verse of Genesis 4, and to Shaith, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of Yahweh. So I find it fascinating. The very last person mentioned here to wrap all of this up 
is Enosh. And Enosh's name means mortal. So Enosh is number 583 in the Strong's Concordance. And that actually, 583 literally just means the son of Seth or the son of Sheth. And it comes from 582. The meaning of his name comes from 582, which is also pronounced Enosh, and it means mortal. Now, it can mean many other things, uh, a few of which is thirsty, which I found to be intriguing. Uh, and the reason is, well, I, I, yeah, actually, let me name a few of these real quick here. It can mean servant, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of what Brad's been teaching uh, just about the, uh, the desire to be the slave or the servant of Yahweh and how wonderful that is. Uh, it, it can also mean stranger. It can mean in the flower of their age. It can mean husband. Uh, it can mean just a person. Uh, and, and there's a number of other things. Now, this also comes from 605 in Strong's Concordance, Aw Nash, and that means to be frail or feeble. Figuratively, it means to be melancholy. And now all of this goes together, which you can see how they got the word mortal from that, you know, to be frail, to be feeble. Uh, all of this goes together with the last line of chapter 4. Then began men to call upon the name of Yahweh. I find it telling, given the description of Enosh's name, that this is the time when man didn't simply dwell with Yahweh anymore. They, their sin had gotten them far enough away that now if they wanted to connect with Yahweh, they had to call upon him. They had to make an effort to get to him. He wasn't just simply there. The way he was with Adam in the garden, even after the sin of Adam, he was, he was just there in their lives. He was still present. They could still just connect with him uh, just casually. You know, Yahweh was talking with Cain after he slew Havel. Yahweh was just there for people. It's at this point in time that we've separated ourselves enough that sin has grown in the earth that we as humanity had to begin calling upon Yahweh in order to connect with him. It's, it's a sad thought, but it does make sense that it's right here, uh, given Enosh's name, that this would where it, it would take place. Any thoughts on that before I move on? No, it's just, as you said, it's a sad Sad thought. It's just hitting me kind of emotionally. You can you can see right here. This is when there's kind of that uh, that wall, that separation that builds up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I often wonder, and someday I'll experience it. But I often wonder what was it like to have God just involved in the day to day, mm -hmm. have Him right there. You need to talk to Him. He's right there, and. Uh, you know, as a person who has never been able to experience that in my life yet, um, it's something that I long for. So it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking right here to hear that. But as we know, 
uh, that will be rectified. <laughs> Eventually, we will have a point where we are able to just walk and commune and talk with our God. Now, here uh, in the, the word picture of Enosh's name, uh, what I got was, well, the thing that jumped out to me uh, right off the bat, and you know, like we've said with all of these, there's many more interpretations, you know, uh, please feel free to send us some of your own. But the word, in, the interpretation that shot out to me was the seed of Adonai destroyed by a nail. And I just saw that, you know, the... Again, given Enosh's name meaning mortal, meaning frail, feeble, melancholy, I kind of connected this prophetically as Adam representing Yahweh God, the beginning, the, 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 the creator, so to speak, the original creator. He, there was no man before him. So prophetically, he kind of represents that. Sheth, his firstborn, so to speak. Now, again, we, we know he wasn't the firstborn, but he is at this point. He's the substitution. He's his first in line. He's where the lineage is going through because Cain, because Havel's dead and Cain forfeited it. Uh, but, but now we see Sheth as a picture of the Messiah, Yeshua. And now Enosh kind of represents mortal man, mankind, uh, the rest of humanity that needs a substitution, that needs a savior. And if it weren't for our sin, Jesus wouldn't have, have to have died on the cross. We wouldn't have to have that substitution. We wouldn't have to have that death. So I see in mortal man, the picture of mortal man, I find it telling that the word picture is we took Adonai's firstborn and killed him. And that's pretty much, uh, feel free to jump in, Brad, uh, but that's pretty much a wrap-up of Genesis 4. Uh, actually, the first four. And, and which is also telling, because I'm going to get in, I'm going to start getting into numbers here in the next one. Uh, four represents creation. And so from Genesis 1 through 4, we have a picture of all of God's creation. Uh, and, and the history of his creation, really, right here. So I found that kind of telling. Now, obviously, oh, I obviously I knew what you meant, but I was like, "What? We're stopping Genesis and moving on to Numbers already? <laughs> what? There's so much more in Genesis." Now I mentioned a long time ago uh, that the Hebraic letters, each one represents a word, each one also represents a number, and I said a while ago we'd be getting into that eventually. I'm going to start focusing on that with Genesis 5. And to to explain why, let's let's here's an overview of Genesis 5. Now, first of all, before I move on, Genesis 5, the 5th chapter, 5 is a picture of grace. And we've mentioned this before, but Genesis 5 shows the lineage of Adam through Noah. And I've, we mentioned this several times, but if you take just the names in order, Adam, Sheth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yerid, Chanok, 
Metushalach, Lamech, and Noah. And I know I'm misspelling those according to their Hebrew pronunciations, uh, anything we haven't covered yet. But if we take the, the Hebraic meanings of those names, we get man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God, he who descends, is dedicated. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. So in Genesis 5, all we have is a lineage from Adam to Noah. It's, it's really difficult without understanding the Hebraic roots how we can find grace in that. But right there, we have a picture of God's grace for us. We, we gave ourselves sorrow. We gave ourselves mortality. We gave ourselves death in our decision. And God, in his wonderful plan, said he is going to descend. He's dedicated in bringing us his own death in order to give us comfort and rest. That is grace. That is grace. We didn't deserve it. It is his unmerited favor. We did not deserve it, and he gave us his own life. Genesis 5. We're going to get into the lineage as we move on here, and we're going to start to figure out what these numbers mean that they're going to focus on so heavily. But right there, 5, grace. It's so easy to miss that this whole chapter involves grace when we don't understand what those names mean. Any thoughts on that? Just looking forward to it. <laughs> but that's this kind of uh, highlights why I'm doing this. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm with a lot of you guys. I read Genesis 5 as a kid, and I thought, okay, it's important. We see Adam's lineage through Noah, but that's all it was. It was just, to me, it was nothing more than historical record. I didn't really see the importance. Now going back and understanding each of these names and the story they tell, I see in Genesis 5 what used to be just a, a boring historical statement now suddenly has hidden meaning. It's a treasure. It's got life inside of it. Um, I just think that's pretty cool. I now. Used to, I used to have a hard time um, about the fourth or fifth time in a row that I, I mispronounced a name. I'd get frustrated with myself and just move on. Yeah. But there's a cool feature nowadays that you can um, pronounce names.com. And they, oh, really? Yeah, you can go there and you can um, find biblical names or just any name, period. But you can find biblical names and they help you pronounce them correctly. And so, or at least how we think it should be pronounced correctly. I don't know if we still have it right all the time, but yeah. But that helps me because it's, it's really hard for me to identify with a person if I can't even pronounce their name. Like, you know, I, I, for me, that was always difficult. So I would just, I get frustrated with myself and skip it. Um. But then in the last several years, I've been purposefully trying to pronounce each name as I come to them in my readings just because I want to remember that was a real person. Mm-hmm. And they're mentioned here for a real reason, a real purpose. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, it, I don't know if that'll be helpful to people. But uh, if that's if that's you, if you have a hard time, because I've even had pastors and churches who have... Mm-hmm. made jokes about fumbling through the names or, or whatnot. Oh, yeah. You know, just, oh, I say it very fast because I know I'm saying it wrong. You know, it's, mm-hmm. but, 
uh, that can be disheartening when you know when you when you do remember that these were real people. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so to give them the respect that they deserve, um, I just felt it was important to try to get their names correctly. So pronouncenames.com. It's been very helpful for me. You know, the cool thing about that is in that is a microcosm of what we're trying to do here, and that's just get it right. Not just do what we think and what we were raised with and what our fathers and our grandfathers and our pastors and people have taught us, and so we just go along with it because it's comfortable, but go back to what is actually correct. And I want to, I'll share a story. I'm not going to, the person, I I had a conversation with someone a while ago, and I'm about to share that conversation. I want to state very clearly the person that I had this conversation with has told me they don't like it when I repeat this story because it it tends to embarrass them, so I'm not going to give their name. But um, one time I'd heard a story. For those of you who know who Max Lucado is, we've mentioned him here before in some of the podcasts. He's a storyteller, and and he has many books out where he, he tells stories. And he had a... I was listening to him on the radio. He had a bit for a while. I don't know if he still does, and, and so he's talking and, and sharing some stories, sharing some thoughts. And so I, something that he said intrigued me. And so I came home and I said, hey, guess what? I've just heard this thing uh, on the radio from Max Lucado. And a friend of mine goes, no, it's Max Lucado. It's pronounced Max Lucado. And I went, no, no, it's, it's Max Lucado. And this person went, my pastor just this last Sunday was talking about him and he said it's pronounced Max Lucado. And I went, well, I was just listening to Max Lucado on the radio and he pronounces his own name, Max Lucado. And the thing I'll always remember is this person just absolutely looked stunned and they're like, why would my pastor tell me wrong? Like, like, like this person had just been, you know, just recognized that they had been lied to. And I'm like, you know, it's just a simple misunderstanding. There's nothing more to it than that as far as this particular story goes. Um, but I always remembered it because it, it gave me the importance of going back to the source and how our pastors and our parents and other people, and and believe me, as I'm speaking to you right now, me talking to you and Brad talking to you, we can get it wrong. It's always important to go back to the source. And we need to go directly to Yahweh God, to Yeshua HaMashiach, and say, what truth do you have for me? And how do you want to present it to me? You tell me what you want me to know. And I will listen. And I will, if we have the heart to say, and I will put off all of the mistakes and lies, because there's a difference between a lie and a mistake. A lie involves intent. Most of us make mistakes. We're not lying. We, We got it wrong. We just didn't know any better. A lie is when you know better and you're doing it wrong on purpose. We have been lied to, but mostly we've just received mistakes. And we've grown up with those mistakes and we've, been, we've become comfortable with those mistakes. But are we willing to go back to the source and say, I'm going to allow you 
to correct my mistakes. Because then we have the real truth. We have from the real source. Um, anyway, that's just in a nutshell kind of what Brad and I are trying to accomplish here is trying our best to get back to the source and say, what is it that God is telling us, not what man's telling us? Again, we're going to get it wrong too. We've said this before. My biggest hope is that this doesn't, you're not listening to us going, great, yeah, I'm going to listen to Brad and Scott. Whatever they say, that's where I'm going to go. They got it right. No, my biggest hope is that you are going, those idiots can do that? (laughs) Well, then I can too. I'm going to chase God. I'm going to dig into my Bible and I'm going to go after God myself. That's my biggest hope from all of this. Yeah, I was just about to say, we're just two nobodies. There's a there was a song I heard. I don't I don't necessarily remember the lyrics or who sang it, but I wanted to look it up. It was basically it might have been Casting Crowns, but they're basically just saying I'm a nobody mm-hmm. trying to tell you about a somebody, like trying to tell you about Yes. You know, and yeah, it's I, like Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. I'm I'm a nobody. Um mm-hmm. I I and you're right. I probably I might even suggest that I get it wrong more often than I get it right. But uh, the times that I do get it right, that's why I, I preface most of my studies by just simply saying, hey, if it sounds like truth to you, run with it, look into it, investigate it. If it doesn't, throw it out because uh, it may not have been truth. But uh, but yeah, we're nobodies just doing our best. You can do this too. And I think the age that we're living in is both a blessing and a curse. There's the curse because the technology makes it very, very, very easy to fall into our lusts and our temptations and into the evil practices, but it also creates a very unique time for us. We have at our free, free resources at our hands at any given time. We can read the Bible. We can study it. We can get more information about it. Um, we, we talk about Strong's Concordance a lot and I have my book. I love my Strong's Concordance actual book, but you can go to the website and see everything on there for free. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, a fantastic age if you are truly wanting to investigate and study and learn. Um, but it's also <laughs> kind of a dangerous age because, mm-hmm. uh, internet makes it so much easier to do some of the things that used to be harder for us as a society. Yeah. But Anyway, that's a different subject. Just, I, I'm total agreement. We're nobodies, and we're just trying our best to learn for ourselves, too. We're just trying to learn about somebody who is important, and we're trying to share that with others. So I'll just kind of wrap up uh, chapter four with a couple things here. Um, actually, I've wrapped up chapter four. I'm sorry. A couple things to point out about Genesis 5, the beginning of this uh, Genesis 5. Uh, first of all, if you take the first Hebrew letter of every name from Adam to Lamech. And then we're skipping ahead. This is not uh, not totally in Genesis 5, uh, but we're skipping ahead. If Then if you keep going with the first Hebrew letter of each name from Noah to Terah, uh, down that lineage, it forms a statement too. Adam to Lamech is, I will forgive my enemies, showing compassion. Again, grace right here in Genesis 5. If you go on from Noah to Terah, it goes on to say, forgiving those made from dust a second time. I mean, so it's amazing the the, the intricacies we can find in the scriptures and and the, the hidden gems he's put out there. And 
Another thing, a last thing on this. I started to research numbers and what they meant and things like that, and um, I came up with this little tidbit. Brad, what would you say is the exact opposite of absolutely nothing? The exact opposite of absolutely nothing would be absolutely something. Absolutely something? Okay. Um, the point was made here that the absolute opposite, the absolute perfect opposite, other end of the spectrum from nothing, just non-existence, would be God. Oh. You know, because he is everything. And he absolutely is something. Right, that's true. <laughs> He's absolutely something. Now, in Hebrew, there is no word or number zero. They don't have, in English, we have zero. Uh, in, in most languages, you have a zero, uh, and it means nothing, non-existence. You know, there's just nothing's there. Sometimes it's just a placeholder. For example, in Roman numerals, uh, you know, they don't have it either, but, uh, but the Romanization, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, that means the zero is a placeholder just to say, hey, the one moves over a spot. We're in a new category. Now we're in the tens category. Uh, the zero just means it, it's, it's just saying, hey, the one gets shoved over. Uh, it, and, and in Hebrew, they don't have that. They just have their, their numbers just keep moving forward. Uh, and we'll, we'll explain how that works next time. But what was really cool is... In Hebrew, they don't have a, a, the number zero. What they do to represent that is just words that would represent it, like the word no or the word nothing, you know, words like that to, to comprehend, you know, zero, right? So the word no in Hebrew is lo, and it is spelled lamed aleph. Flip it around. The absolute opposite is Aleph Lamed. It's the Hebrew word El, and it means God. That was just a cool little thing I came up with. The absolute opposite of no is God. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to wrap up here with Genesis 5, 1 through 2. And this is, again, the reason I want to wrap up here is it's almost a summary. It's a reiteration of something we've already gone over. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that Elohim created man, in the likeness of Elohim made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So I wanted, to, I wanted to finish with this because it, it covers what we've already covered before. This reiterates the fact that Adam and Eve were one individual. They were created as one unique being in the image of Yahweh Elohim. Elohim, again, being the plural form, meaning gods, literally translated gods, made he him. Male and female created he them. The, 
the 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 tenses the uh, not not the tenses not the verb tenses the the pronouns are all over the place right here the the pluralization the singular uh, they don't make any sense unless you realize that the triune God is one Elohim gods made mankind male and female created God singular them plural blessed them and called their name Adam singular in the day when they were created Adam and Eve were created on the same day as one being they were separated later but I just want to reiterate we've already covered this before I want to mention it's it's reiterated here reinforced but something else we'll end on this this is the book of the generations of Adam. Specifically, you can say, this is just the chapter, Genesis 5. We're going to go into the generations. We're going to, you know, this is the section where we're going to talk about it. But you can also say that that involves the entire Bible. This, if you want to, you can pick up the Bible in your hand and repeat after me. This is the book of the generations of Adam, the whole thing. This is the book of mankind. In fact, the book is still being written. You are that book. Put your hand over your heart and say, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Wrap your arms around your family members and say, this is the book of the generations of Adam. We are the generations of Adam. We are the book that he is continuing to write. Am I trying to say that uh, Revelation is still going on and that the Bible is not perfect and all that kind of... I'm not trying to go there. No, no. Uh, I, what I am trying to say is all of his creation unto the end is the story that he's writing. God is still speaking to people God is still crying out to hearts, wooing them back. Your story, your personal testimony is a testimony that is going to be told in heaven for ages to come, for the rest of eternity, in uh, giving glory to him. I want to encourage you. You are the book that he is writing. You are among the generations of Adam. And this book, this story is not done yet. I guess that's all I, the only place I wanted to go with that. Brad, do you have anything else to add before we wrap this up? No, I like that. Let's, uh, let's leave the book open for now. Mm -hmm. So I guess I will end by saying, as always, this has been Scott. And this has been Brad, and this, as always, is not about us.